I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I didn't hear anyone speaking my language till I heard Kathy Griffin. It was the first time I'd ever watched stand-up and thought, that that woman's speaking mm-hmm. to me. Right. It was the very first time I heard anyone ever in my life speak about gay people positively. We were always the butt of the joke. You're yeah. always the butt of, no pun intended, but you're right. always <laughs> the butt of the joke. Welcome to Chosen Family. I'm Trina Winter. And I'm Thomas LeBlanc. Matteo Lane is on the show today. He is a brilliant stand-up comic, multi-talented person. And I mean, so hot. I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, some of you are following him on Instagram. If you're not, do so. There are not a lot of, of gay male stand-ups. It's a weird thing. There are a lot of lesbians, so many lesbians <laughs> in stand-up. Obviously, a lot of straight guys, but not that many gay males. So when I first saw him perform and heard of him, I was like, oh, okay, I could do that. We also have Robbie Hoffman on the show, hysterical comedian, raised in the Orthodox Jewish community, went to business school, now lives in the U.S., crazy life. I've never met anyone quite She's like Robbie. kind of my hero. I love her. I love her. It's actually our 25th episode. Um, I can't believe it. <laughs> Sometimes we feel the need to sort of remind ourselves and remind you that this is technically a comedy podcast. <laughs> even though we go to... This is not like, therapy, you it's guys. It's not therapy, even though I know <laughs> it feels that way sometimes, which we love. And I think that there is something comical about deep emotion yeah. and taking things very seriously. <laughs> well, that's also just my style of doing it, but also what I love to watch is just like the darkest, deepest, if, if it's taboo, if it's sensitive. I mean, I'm a triple water. I've got so much Scorpio in my chart. The deeper, the darker, the better for me. I can't do superficial. I yeah, suck at superficial shit. Um, I went through something really dark actually this weekend. I know. I know. It's so absurd. And... um. So it's 1.30 on Saturday. I'm in the backstage area of this theater where I'm going to perform at night. And I get a call from my mom. And she asked me, she's like, sit down. I have something to tell you. Um, um, Mammy died. She, she passed. My grandmother, um, granted she was 78. Um, she was overweight and she had heart issues. But nothing that would be... Uh, a sign of that she was going to pass soon. Um, she was about to go have lunch with her girlfriends at the old people's home where she lived. She called 911 at, at 11.30, and when the ambulance got there, it was too late. Like, her heart had stopped beating. Mm. Um, so I went to the hospital, and we get into this family room that's just next to the room where her body is. Like, her body is there. And so it's my mom, um, my aunt, and my grandmother's best friend, Michelin, and they got there before me and they were able to like, you know, they said they could still feel the spirit and it's sad. So we start crying um, and then we can't help but joke. Mm. Like in that dark right. moment, I think my mom said that, oh, she 
she, she must have known that this was coming because she smells good. Because my <laughs> grandmother was obsessed with like beauty products and like Clarins and, and Dior and Yves Saint Laurent perfumes. And she didn't have a lot of money, but she would spend money on that. And I was thankful that I'm from a family that can find levity. We weren't mm. like, we weren't minimizing what no, was no, happening. No, no, I know. Not at all. What was she like, like as a person? She, um, just picture like a very glamorous, like early 70s uh, woman with like the vavavoom hair. And she had this like very French Canadian life. Like she was the oldest of four children, I think. She was always called a snob of the family because she wanted out. She wanted to get out. Are you the snob of the family now? Oh my god, we, my mom, <laughs> my mom and I were raised by a snob. Well, she was. My mom was raised by a snob, and I was raised by my mom. So, like, yes, we are. Um, and then you know, like when she had my mom, she sent her to private school. She she worked at a grocery store packing donuts, but then she would buy these like super expensive dresses at the bay on the weekend. She would never compromise on spending and that's you know me this is where yeah, i get it from I know, clearly there's a, a lot that's being revealed right now a lot that's coming to light and you know like i just remember the little things i remember like she took me to my first celine concert i think she had these like i don't know these dreams of being a star and she like when like i like in what like as a singer as an actress i think an actress but i think also she was also very resentful like mm-hmm. she would be <laughs> resenting i remember like there was this like 60s star in quebec her name is michelle richard oh yeah i love um, her. and she my grandmother would like resent michelle richard because like she right. was a star and my grandmother wasn't yeah because i think like she never really found the key to being an artist yeah um she had just poor self-esteem. She f- never felt that it was something that was accessible to her. She never went to school. She believed for a really long time that like she needed a man to take care of her. Um, it's funny because we went through her stuff on Monday, and like there's so many books on dieting. Like she was obsessed. <laughs> I think you know there's an eating disorder in my family, not mm. really like anorexia, but kind of. But just a complicated relationship to food, to food. De- definitely. Um, in the mid-80s, she divorced her husband at the time. She met another man a few years later. And in the 90s, she became this, like, star dog breeder. So she had, you know, like, the movie Best in Show? Yeah. That was my grandmother. Oh, my God. Through the whole 90s and 2000s. No she went, way. She went from, like, looking like this, like, film starlet in the 70s. To Jennifer Coolidge. Yeah. <laughs> um she had so many dogs. She had like 12 or 14 wow. dogs. The breed they had was called a Briard. It's not uh, a very known yeah. breed, but like, and they, they were like part of the elite of the Briard wow. breeding scene in the world. Wow. Basically, they would like, they would send their, they would send like the, the dog, like the male dogs, I guess, to Eastern Europe and to the States so that they would... Uh, I don't know, like reproduce with wow. female dogs. It was crazy. So um, she did become a star in her own way. In her own way, she did. But she was really like a momager. Like a <laughs> <laughs> she was like a dog's momager. She was obsessed. Yeah, she was their agent, manager, publicist. All the things. She was the Renee Algelil of the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> she was. <laughs> but comedy, and then I was thinking of, I performed that show that night. Because wow. I was like 
it's just kind of healing in that moment to like perform and be able to sort of honor her. And then in, during the show, I sit in the audience. And then when I sit in the audience, I turn to my right and I'm not kidding. Like the woman next to me looked exactly like my grandmother. That's like, crazy. yeah, short, like round, like a little overweight, um, white hair. So you felt like she was there? I don't know if I felt like she was there because I, f- I always felt that she was with me even right. when she was alive. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, I'm amazed at like how you're able to deal with I mean, this, it's like... super sad and I cried. No, no, I, and no I'm, I, not, I'm I, not saying yeah. that you're not, but there is that feeling that like, how can anything go on? But it does. It does. You know, like yeah. we're all resilient in our own ways and like ultimately time is the real healer. And comedy helps along. I think comedy helps. Yeah. My next guest is a former opera singer who now performs comedy all over New York City. Please welcome Matteo Lane. So, I was in Rome last year. Uh, I'm of Italian descent. Grazie, Forza Sicilia. And, um, and I was like, you know what? I want to have like a real date, like a Diane Lane under the Tuscan sun moment. Uh, but then I went on a hookup app, so like, no. Uh, <laughs> I first but, met Matteo uh, a few years ago when he performed in Montreal. I don't know, it was very instant with me and Matteo. Like, we just connected. For a long time, he produced this show, Battle of the Divas. Yes. Which I think, like, a friendship between you, you and him is like just meant to be that's when we get that together show. that's like all we talk about <laughs> and so we also talked to Matteo when he was in Montreal um, he was performing his show Streisand at Le Bonsoir it's a show that revisits the singer's early years in New York and shows a side not many of us know about her Barbara Streisand was a creation way before Funny Girl the movie, right? Funny Girl the movie happened in 68, 69. She came out around 60, 61. And, you know, like, think about the late 50s, early 60s singers, like how the women looked, what they sounded like. And Barbara came out. She was doing uh, shows at gay nightclubs. She was living in New York. She had keys for six different apartments. She was so poor. She carried a cot with her. So she would stay at six different places each night because she was so poor. And then she would be singing at gay bars because she was trying to win the competition because they had a free London broil, right? And she loved food. And she was wearing men's clothing. She was wearing Egyptian eye makeup. She had long fingernails. She was speaking French, Italian, and some German in between her shows. If anyone offered her a drink, she would ask for a baked potato. And she was singing. The sound of her voice at that time was wildly different than what I'm sure you're familiar with. The dusty and mean perception I have. Well, now she's like on Oprah and she's like, I love Barnes. (laughs) But the young Barbara Streisand, if you listen Listen to her music then. I mean, you would be blown away. And and I'm sorry, Quebec, but technically as a singer and emotionally, in her younger days, Celine couldn't even touch her if she tried. Of course not. Celine doesn't have... There's no emotion. Celine is just pure fabrication. (laughs) I love it. But you're obsessed with Maria Callas. Why, Why do you connect so much with her? I think, and, and, and any LGBTQ person can relate to being in a situation where you feel a part of something, but you're wildly different, right? So, like, everyone knows Maria Callas now is like, oh, she's, like, the greatest. Right. Um, but she, at the time, 
when she first came out was hated. In Italy, they called her grande vociace, which means a big, ugly voice. I mean, they right. didn't understand it. She was screeching these high notes, right? And she was really fat, and she was just super, like, they didn't know where to place her, what to do. And they people label her now as sfogato, which means can sing anything written for the female voice. But outside of that, she was strange. She had a very, very fucked up childhood um, and she was for women I feel at least business wise like very very feminist I mean she walked into the Met Opera and said um, what's the highest paid female singer they said $3,000 she goes I want my contract $3,000 one penny she goes there's no way I'm not so she's like, kind of the template for a diva Oh, are you j- yeah. joking? She She's lost a 100 pounds in a year. She became a fashion icon. She divorced That's her it. husband. She had an affair. She lost her voice, died at 53. I mean, she was the diva. For you, like, especially as a kid or growing up, were these examples of what you wanted to bring out in yourself? I looked at it more as like, kind of like fireworks. I just couldn't believe what these women had to offer. And I've always been more drawn to female singers anyways, because I feel the voice is way more flexible and you can do so much more with it than the male voice. And I'm attracted to these sort of extreme singers. You know, I'm attracted to the Mariah Carey's, the Whitney Houston's, Ima Sumac. Like, I also find I'm attracted to singers that kind of flare up really big and then sort of go away you know there's singers we know who do great are consistently great but it doesn't have that capture the world moment with their talent type thing you and Trenna are both comedians who sing you're a trained opera singer and Trenna you're not I am not (laughs) (laughs) I am not Um, like I'm interested in that like conflict between like making people laugh but also singing and and that coming from the heart like I yeah because I do feel like singing comes way more from the heart than comedy although there are elements of the comedy that yeah it is a lot scarier it's a way of expressing things that you don't get to express in comedy that do tend to be a bit more but also like divas they do they have a sense of humor like Celine has one Mariah, maybe. I think Celine thinks she has one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think to get back to your first question, singing is a scarier thing. It's more vulnerable. Comedy, right. you, I feel like I'm going on stage in battle and I have like a great defense. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a weapon in some sense. But yeah. singing, you're sort of just open up to the world. What was that moment for you when you were like, I'd rather earn money being funny? Well, I've always had a funny family. Yeah, of course. I grew up on the same block as my first 22 cousins. We're all the same age. (laughs) We always were with each other and we're a funny fucking family. So you get a lot of your training as that. I had to learn timing. I had to learn when I could speak up. I had to learn, like, if you're sitting at the dinner table, you better be funny. Like, if you can make my Aunt Cindy laugh, you're gold. (laughs) Right. Um... So I think in terms of singing, like, I didn't know that I wanted to be a comedian. I mean, I was an artist and I was illustrating for a living. So I was drawing TV commercials and fashion ads professionally. At night, I was like, oh, I can be a singer. And so I would, I joined this cabaret group where we sang at gay strip clubs all over Chicago. And it was a nightmare. I mean, a total nightmare. This one drag queen's like, I have a 50-50% chance of getting a RuPaul's Drag Race. I'm like, well, so do I. (laughs) And, you know, just performing with strippers. One of them had a a tattoo on him that said that never give up. And. I was like, it's too late. And yeah. just shitty cabaret dancers, <laughs> shitty singers, you know. But wow. I loved it because I could go up while everyone was changing and sing Barbara or Mariah. But it was at 4 a.m. where like old men are throwing peanuts at you. I mean, we won the biopic and it sounds like a star is born with like the gay version. It kind of yeah. is. You know what I mean? Um, 
But yeah, I don't know. My friend was dating a comedian, and I'd always in the back of my head wanted to be a comedian. I loved Ellen, and I loved Kathy Griffin. So I asked my friend Marty DeRosa, who was dating my friend on East at the time, and said, hey, could I just do... I didn't know how comedy worked. I was like, can I do a show? And he's like, sure, I'll give you three minutes at my show. It was like a local show. Um, and the prize was the audience members won like sex toys, which is so funny because I'm like, I just couldn't get away from like that strip club life. But, um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so then I did that and 25 members of my family came, uh, <laughs> but, uh, including my grandparents. Um, but yeah, I did that and that was like the very first time I did stand up and I was like, oh, I think I want to do this. And I started learning more about it. When I started, there's not a lot of gay men doing stand up, So I sort of found you and there's like a wave right now of, gay male comedians and it's weird because we in other areas we can do whatever we want but in stand-up it's like taking up space as a gay man is like is a statement do you feel do you feel that i mean i never thought of it that way but i'm sure i'm dark. i'm doing something you know what i mean no yeah. i really do because i get messages all the time from young kids i came out to my parents because of you at this and that yeah. and i'm not i'm not even famous you know what i mean but i think like you said i think it's super rare and what i love is that the men doing it like the gay men doing it with me in a sense, we're all so different. It's great to prove to straight people how different we are. You know, there's me, there's Joel Kim Booster, there's Solomon Giorgio, there's Julio, Julio Torres Julio's, is fucking talking yeah. to diamonds, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> and there's um, Guy Branham and Mayron Kaga. I mean, there's Tim Dillon, you know, we're all so different that to me it's exciting to see like what we all have to offer. Do you reflect on conventions? Do you reflect on what is a conventional stand-up comedian? I don't know about you guys, but I never grew up on stand-up. I wasn't like in love with stand-up. You know, so many young straight guys watch stand-up and think that's my hero because they're speaking their language. But I didn't hear anyone speaking my language till I was 18, till I heard Kathy Griffin. It was the first time I'd ever watched stand-up and thought, that woman's speaking mm-hmm. to me. Right. It was the very first time I heard anyone ever in my life speak about gay people positively. I have, it gives me chills thinking about it. Never. I couldn't imagine. We were always the butt of the joke. You're yeah. always the butt of, no pun intended, but you're right. always <laughs> the butt of the joke. And it was the first time I'd ever heard someone say something positive right. about gay people. It will forever, ha- I'll, I'll never forget it. If I ever meet her, I would thank her Trying for to, It's kind that of the was, same for you. Yeah, that was for, for me, that was Margaret Cho. Yeah. Um, in high school. Margaret Cho. That was like the first two specials. I'm the one that I want. And that's Tori one of my C. favorite Cho. of all time. Those shows, like they were for us, you know, like they were for the outsiders. And that remains the kind of comedy that I'm mm-hmm. still drawn to. Same. Because there's still like, I would still say the vast majority of comedy is not for us. Right. And listen, to, you know, now that I'm doing stand-up for so long and I'm predominantly surrounded by straight people, I've noticed how they've been very, I've had very few problems Mm -hmm. with them embracing me. They really care about you just being funny. That's it. And I think a lot of gay people, queer people, anyone, like you said, outside of the box, from the outside will look at it and think, oh, I'm not welcome. But then once you go in, it's very different. They really just get, I mean, I feel more comfortable at a comedy table than sometimes I do walking into a gay bar. I mean, you do. You walk yeah. into a gay bar, it's a room full of side-eye. Yeah. You know, who's well, waiting in line, who's dressed like this, who's hot like that, who knows this person, who's drinking, who's that. Who that? Right. I walk into a comedy club, ah, loved your joke. Right. I mean, it's interesting to hear you talk about that, like, walking into the gay club experience, because I feel like, I, like, looking, if someone didn't know you, and they looked at your Instagram page. Mm-hmm. 
they would see someone who is sort of like the ideal sort of out magazine cover star, beautiful, perfect hunk. Mm -hmm. I'm 160 pounds now. I used to be 140 pounds. And I mean, really, really skinny and always wore a hat, hated my hair, had no confidence. And my sister, who was a personal trainer, uh, I called her one day and said, look, I just want to feel better about the clothes I wear. I'm on TV. I want to feel better about how I look. And she put me on a diet and a workout plan. And I followed it. And I found that I fell in love with going to the gym. And as a comic, I'm an attention whore. And so I'm naked (laughs) in every photo. But the one thing I will say about my Instagram, too, is like, yeah, you're absolutely right. But I also am with my friend Stavros promoting body positivity. I work with queer photographers. I'm with people of color. I mean, I've, I look back at my Instagram and think, I've built a pretty diverse, beautiful life around me. Yeah. And if I want to make an Instagram of me making coffee with my ass out, just let me have my fun. You know, I'm going to be young once. <laughs> I don't know why I can't just let people have their fun. No, I think it's I because, understand. I get it. I get it. I like, hate I'm, it when other people have fun. <laughs> it's not that I hate it when other people have fun. I just feel like there's already so much noise. And we started this conversation talking about these amazing larger-than-life performers who, if they were around now, probably wouldn't really be heard because everything's been so dumbed down. Judy Garland would roll over in her grave. But yeah, I'm sure my Instagram to some is annoying and to some it's fun. But also half of it's my artwork. Right, well, that's what I think is interesting. Like, there is, like, if you do look a little more closely, there's a lot that you're actually subverting, you know, because you're mentioning, you know, your inclusion and the way that you've surrounded yourself with all these different kinds of people where like the sort of more conventional gay world now tends to be like very closed off. Like cis gay men tend to be in their own world and sort of exclusionary towards everyone else. My best friends are, we all are a little bit of misfits and I've always felt more connected to my core group of friends because I feel like we appreciate each other for what we have to offer within our heart and within our mind and not about you know, like, we all have to be super steroided, this and that, right. and blah, blah, blah. It's not about that. Do you feel as a queer person that we're actually lucky to have chosen families in a way that, like, maybe straight people don't experience it as intensely as we do? I feel like lucky is a, is a loaded word because, you know, some people, I'm sure, who are kicked out of their homes yeah. would like to have their family. Yeah. I think that it's amazing that we're able to choose our own families, mm-hmm. and I really feel in a lot of ways... We all do that to a certain extent because we're trying to create a comfortable circle for ourselves because you go through so much years of confusion and self-hate. Yeah. You know, you can be with people and sort of let those things melt and celebrate those things and laugh at yourself. But, you know, lucky, that's an interesting word because there's some people who do not, they can't, they were kicked, they're in the streets, you know? And so I, I don't know if lucky is the right word. I think it's a, I think beautiful is the right mm-hmm. word, maybe. Yeah. Think of your favorite one-hit wonder. Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now what if we could fix it? I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm DeLon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts.
I met this guy, he was great, his name was Francesco, and uh, he was like, kind of, he was in the closet, so meeting up with him was really hard, like, he kept being like, we have to meet at this place, at this time, it's like, is this a drug deal? <laughs> Italians are the most dramatic people on the face of the planet, I mean, this was not a date, it was a full-blown opera. We immediately started arguing, which, like, who argues on a first date? But I thought he should tell his parents that he's gay. And the word for gay in Italian, by the way, is just gay with an Italian accent. So it's just gay. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so, like, while I'm yelling at him, I'm like, Ma perché tu non puoi dire ai tuoi genitori che tu sei gay? <laughs> and then we started making out, and... Uh, there was something unconventional about talking about, like, a gay hookup on a late-night show. Why did you go for that bit? Because I was told three years earlier when I did a late-night show that I, I, they wouldn't air it because the host of the show thought it was too gay. And so they wanted me huh. to redo the set and not talk about me being gay. And so I said no. And then a year later I did Seth Meyers, and then a year later I did Stephen Colbert. And they, they, neither one of them had a problem with me being gay. Sometimes it's just not easy, and sometimes it's exhausting explaining myself to straight people. It's exhausting. It's like, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to be? Yeah. My perspective on life is going to be different. I'm walking to Starbucks in Ohio and get called a drive-by <laughs> faggot. I'm sorry you don't have that experience, but I do. So I'm going to talk about it. And you know what interests me? Liza Minnelli on the Home Shopping Network. <laughs> I, you know, I'm not interested in the word Pop-Tart. And why? Why? Well, a little yeah. Pop-Tart. It yeah. doesn't pop. I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? I'm way more interested in why Liza Minnelli what does she have to sell? It's, Lisa, I've just, I broke my knee, <laughs> and I was in a hospital, and so I started working with clay. The woman should wear the dress, not the dress wearing the woman. You put these on, and you just kind of do this. You have a beautiful wrist, Liza. Thank you. <laughs> you could wear three or four. Oh. What? Bracelets. One will do. <laughs> um... Am I coming off bad in this podcast? I feel like what I'm coming off arrogant. Not no. at all. No. I think, I, you, I think I've just realized that maybe I'm more angry than I thought, and that a lot of what I'm doing is, is a result of me trying to like find equality. I think it's good to acknowledge that, because I think that, I know for me too, like as someone who believes in positivity and lifting people up that sometimes anger can be this like negative thing and I don't want to put that out there because there's already so much of it yeah but we're angry but I think it too like if you sound like a straight white dude who was doing all the things I was doing he'd be accepting his Oscar is that a horrible thing to say? No, it, that's, that's the, the worst thing I've ever said. I feel like I'm too egotistical. I've hit it. I hit my mark. No, I've got it. I'm Streisand. You're. <laughs> I'm literally like I love mean Barnes. and dusty Matteo Lane. I've always <laughs> loved chickens with mine like green eggs. Like you know what I mean? Like I've lost it. <laughs> But I, I'm sorry. If anyone listening out there, I'm just, I'm sorry. But it's a, I'm in a weird please position. Please don't apologize. Please don't. There's nothing to apologize for. I should apologize for my home shopping network <laughs> appearance. <laughs> I was really sleeping. Lisa. Yes. Well, thank you so much. Merci beaucoup. Merci beaucoup. Mateo Lane. Mateo is also the co-host of the podcast Inside the Closet, which I love, and you can listen to wherever you listen to Chosen Family. I once forgot my gym uniform at school. I forgot my gym uniform. You couldn't do, if you had gym that day and you didn't have your gym uniform, the whole shit fell apart for some reason. <laughs> couldn't compute. So I got sent to the office because I didn't have my gym uniform, and the principal was like, well... 
We're going to have to call your mother, and she's going to have to bring you your uniform. I was like, you think my mother. <laughs> With 16 loads of laundry, is going to come to bring me my uniform? Put her on speaker. I want to hear. Robbie Hoffman. She's a Jewish, queer, Canadian-American comic so funny and smart and captivating that my ex-roommate, who's a straight woman, when she saw Robbie perform, was like, I might be a lesbian. That's the power of Robbie. <laughs> Robbie is also on The Chris Gethard Show. And let's please acknowledge that she is also an Emmy Award winner, by the way. And she carries her Emmy everywhere she goes. <laughs> when she came to Montreal, she actually had it packaged. She was traveling with it. I got to hold it like it was her newborn you, you child. Held the, you held the Emmy? I held the Emmy. It was oh, a wow. moment. It what did very, she win the Emmy for? Um, For writing on this um kids show that she oh, did, right. which was one of her first writing gigs. And... And I just love her. And I don't know, like, we're both sort of obsessed with, like, Judaism and Jewish culture, especially as it relates to the comedy world. Yeah. And I think Robbie is a really great entry into that. My family was very Orthodox. We were born Orthodox. My father is still very Orthodox, uh, but we have no relationship with him. Um, he is somewhere on the perimeters of Vegas. Ooh. Big Hasidic community in Vegas. A lot of people do not know that. Yeah. Cheap Did housing. Okay. <laughs> yeah, cheap housing. I have this perception in Montreal that the Hasidic community is not as close as it, as it used to be. Is that a yes, real well, feeling? It, no, it's true. Well, there's different parts of it. I think people don't know that there's different sects within Hasidic Judaism. Um, for instance, I was probably on the lighter end. I was in the Lubavitch movement. It's still really religious. And to the naked eye, there's really no differences. No, but there, but there, I there, know the differences you, between right. those communities. Those That community, Lubavitch, when I was a kid, they started doing outreach. But they're friendly. They so want to help you. Yeah, so they do yeah. friendly. Yeah. Um, that was relatively new for the movement to right. do friendly. The other people have... So that's been the big split in those two. Is like one is starting to like maybe look at outreach, and the other is like, no. We're just, we'd rather never know you. We're fine the way it is, and that's it. So that's really the difference, but they're both different. They're both black hats. They're both the long black coats. They're both boiling hot in the summer. It's a nightmare. My first boyfriend is Jewish. We're no longer together, but he's still Jewish. I, I'm French-Canadian, but I was like, maybe I should convert. Maybe I should leave. Because there's really nothing holding me back to being a Catholic. So I was yeah. like, maybe like this is a new right. way of life for me. Also, I've noticed this trend of like when people get rich, they convert to Judaism. Oh, name names. I'm not going to name names. <laughs> oh, stop. No, but Madonna. Yes. <laughs> you know, but like, is that a real thing? Well, I don't do you know. You know what I think? I think from? people don't know about Judaism when they hear about it. It's a very, like, it's a cult classic. <laughs> it's not like the smash box office hit. It's not Avengers. Right. But those who love it, love, love it. it. So we're like a cult classic. So I think it's like, you know, in Catholicism and most major religions, there's hell. So I think for a lot of people, it's like a fear-based religion. And like, if you don't do these things, you go to hell. But because people learn that Judaism doesn't have hell. That's, uh, you know, it's just... When things go bad, what happens when things uh, go that's bad? That's it. They just right. should try and be better. It's I, okay, not that really... makes sense. Right. I can see yeah. why Madonna wants to believe there's not a you hell. Know, yeah, there's not a hell. So that's why our numbers are so low, because there's really no threats. Right. You know, we're not like, we're like, well, everybody can be better. Like, even Hitler can try and be better. Right. You know, there's always like, you make Aaliyah, which is getting higher. You know, so even the worst people, if they improve, that's good. 
Wow. Yeah, you're trying to improve. And even like Jews aren't finite about an after. Like they don't know. They think it's very possible something happens. But we all we say we know is this life versus some religions live for Mm. the afterlife. We Mm. go, we're not sure it's possible. But what we are sure about right now is this life. So as long as you're in this life, try and make this one that you know you're living as great as possible. And we'll deal with the next life if we get yeah, there when we get there. That's so practical. Yeah. It's very you. I feel like you would sort of it do is well. Very me. Wait, so when you get rich, I mean, try, can yeah, we do the bat mitzvah? I have to host this bat mitzvah. Yeah, of yes. course. Well, I feel like, you know, so many of my like biggest inspirations are Jewish women. Sandra Bernhard, Bette oh. Midler, Barbara Streisand. That's like a holy trinity for Mine me. too. There's a lot that I've inherited. Judge Judy, too. Like, that's that's my holy trinity. That's where we have the Mine is Judge Judy, Fran Lebowitz. Oh, my God. I know Fran Lebowitz. Really <laughs> okay. It's more Fran, of like okay. a five point. Fran How many Lebowitz? points in the Star of David? Yeah, Six. Judge Judy, Six. Fran, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I mean, there you have it. That's my holy trinity. <laughs> I before before meeting Trent, I thought you were from a, like a rich Montreal Jewish family. It makes yes. sense. I know yeah. she gives off those vibes. But do you, I? I feel okay. Yes. Good. Yeah. Very classy outfit changes and things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just like you're prepared. But well, you told me it's because of your mom. Well, I learned from the best. You learned, but it's yeah, from your mom. it's from my mom. My family is Egyptian, but my mom grew up basically in New York City in Queens in Flushing. So there was that Jewish influence. And I think that that just carried over. Um, for queer people, do you do parents like are they they can be accepting of queer children, but do they wish you would marry another Jewish queer person? Well, no, I think once we're not procreating, that's off the table. Right. I do think like I always joke about it. Like, I think, yeah, they would want me to be with somebody like a man, you know, right, somebody right. you could procreate with. But I also think like them seeing me with a man, like how awkward would that be? <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I'm sure they think they want to see it. But actually, like if I they showed really up don't. with like my boyfriend, Michael, at a wedding, right. they'd be like. It's a lot more awkward for yeah. everyone than also, me and my girlfriend. Also, I think, like, statistically, this is just something that I've sort of picked up on and I could be totally wrong, but, like, I think there's a disproportionate number of Jewish women with gay sons. Like, there's this mm. very, like, extreme codependency between Jewish women and their sons who they worship. Yeah. And I think that makes them gay. It's too much. <laughs> They're all really gay. That's why I was like, well, I'm not going to Like, say- are there any straight Jewish men? <laughs> no, not really. It's It's really not really. <laughs> Um, How would I pick a synagogue to convert? Well, I would say this one, Rabbi uh, Gershkow, who does the Reform Synagogue in Westmount. I her her sermons are. She's a lesbian rabbi. She was just written about in the in the Times. Her sermons are inspirational. I honestly didn't want to go to therapy. I just wanted to hear her every Friday night when yeah. I could. She talks about so many like philosophical things. She's just brilliant. Oxford, the whole thing. And a real lesbian, like you know, right. I need that. This. You know, I think Jews are, as far as like the major religions goes, they're the most open to queer. Mm. Like they've, they're more malleable. Like we do have major sects of Judaism that have gay rabbis and um we're we're the jew they say always ask why and and we do change what things meant back then to what they mean now that doesn't go for the ultra orthodox but most jews are not that most jews actually um are secular or very reformed types of jews and they've 
they're very malleable with the, what the materials mean and uh, could it mean that? Sure. Could it also maybe mean this? Sure. So you replace this <laughs> with this and you replace this with this and then it's still kosher. China, so we're going like to go to synagogue. Yeah, yeah, I really want to. Oh yeah, my God. I would yeah. love to go on Friday with you guys. Yeah. Oh, can we go this Friday? <laughs> Thanks, no, Robbie. There's so much going on. <laughs> there's so much going on. It's Thanks, Robbie. Thank we you. We love you. Robbie Hoffman. Robbie is based in Los Angeles, but she travels a lot, and you can see her live if she's in a city near you. And if you're in Canada, you can watch her comedy special on Crave. It's called I'm Nervous. Trana, this was our 25th episode since we started Chosen Family. Our silver episode, (laughs) our silver anniversary. We're doing a second season with CBC, but we did a full 15 episodes before that. So we have a back catalog now. Yeah, like, go back and listen, honestly. I mean, we had Ivy Miles, Sandra Bernhardt, Patsy. John Cameron Mitchell, Hedwig. You'll notice that I sound a lot more joyous. <laughs> Not related to the podcast, but I'm just like, my energy I, has shifted. I would say that you are more grounded now. Oh. I would say that. I think I'm more depressed. <laughs> Chosen Family is produced by me, Trana Winter. And me, Thomas LeBlanc, with our co-producer, Crystal Duhame, who edits, mixes, coaches. She's phenomenal. We love her. The stand-up clips you heard were from The Late Show with Stephen Colbert and Robbie Hoffman's special on Crave, I'm Nervous. Chosen Family's music is by The Lost Boys. Judy Zigu is our digital producer. Tanya Springer is the senior producer of CBC Podcasts and Arif Narani is the executive producer. And if you haven't already, I don't know what you're waiting for, join our Facebook group. <laughs> Chosen Family is a CBC podcast originally developed in association with Phi Studio. And of course, listen to Chosen Family wherever you get your podcasts. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.